0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hello, and welcome to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. I'm your host, Bernadette Walsh, and I'm so pleased to introduce my guest this evening, Dana Weinberg. Dana writes under the pen name D.B. Schuster, and she writes dark, twisted, and hopeful serial thrillers. Her latest release, King of Brighton Beach, is a thriller with some romantic elements. Dana lives in New York City with her Russian husband. By day, she is a sociology professor, and by night, she writes dark and twisted tales of crime and intrigue. So welcome, Dana, to Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books. How are you this evening?
0: Thanks, Bernadette. It's wonderful to be here. Thank you for having me.
1: So maybe we can start off talking about your writing journey. How long have you been writing fiction? I started in
0: earnest at the very end of 2008. So for me, this is now uh, my fifth year. And um, I started, (laughs) it was kind of a funny thing. I was on the verge probably of a nervous breakdown. And my husband decided that what I really needed was a little R&R. And he sent me away for a couple of days. And I hadn't planned anything for this vacation at all. And there I was in a hotel room with nothing to do. So I went out to the nearest drugstore and I went to buy books because there was nothing around where I was staying. I had this, like, cheap place to stay. And um, when I looked at the racks, all they had for books were, like, different romance novels. And I really hadn't read many romance novels before then. And mm-hmm. so I loaded up my cart. I think I bought five or six. And I went back to the hotel room and all I did for the next couple of days was just read novels. And I woke up one of the mornings and I thought, you know, maybe I could write one of these. So, you know, you and I started out in a, in a critique group a couple of years ago now, I think. But I have to say, I was pretty foolish thinking that romance was going to be easy to write.
1: <laughs> it's not. <laughs> it's definitely not. Well, I think writing any kind of fiction is hard. And I... You know, I, and it's so much easier, you know, I think there's so many people out there who've, who've written, especially if you read, like, a really trashy, horrible book, and you, you throw it across the room and you can say, I could do better than this. And that's easier said than done. So, yes, no, I I think I, well, I think I came at it from a different angle. I had always wanted to write, and I hadn't really focused on romance so much, but I, I wanted to, I was kind of drawn to writing about women, like women protagonists. That's more what I read, even though it wasn't just romance, but I, I tend to, to be more attracted to that. And I didn't start until around 2008, so I was well over 40, and it was kind of the same thing. I w- you know, I, I'm a lawyer by day, and I've been established in my career, and I've been doing the same thing for quite some time. And I don't know, I, I, it was something I talked about. And finally it was my husband who said, you know, you keep talking about writing a book, here's a new computer, go do something about it. And so I did. So, um, so you, you started off reading romance and you decided, I can, I can do this. So what was your next step after you decided to try and write?
0: Well, so I thought, you know, I have, like you, I have a very busy career, and at the time I was up for tenure, I felt totally out of control, and I found this amazing catharsis at my computer writing about this woman looking for love and um, all of the things that were happening to her, and of course, she was a sociology professor just like me, and, um, you know, there I had just this complete control over what happened, and... I I finished it, and it really wasn't, I mean, I look back at it now, and I'm a much better writer than I was then. It wasn't terrible, although it was probably not very good. And, um, you know, my next step was to start looking for writer's groups to figure out, you know, how do I get into the networks? How do I find an agent? How do I get published? And, you know, for me as an academic, this wasn't my first time at the publishing rodeo. I knew how to finish a book. I knew how to put something together. I knew what kind of steps were involved. What I didn't understand at the time, and this is what it took me a while to learn, was how very different academic writing is from fiction writing. And in some ways it was almost harder to make the transition than if I had just started law because I knew how to put a sentence together. You know, the thing would flow, and you knew exactly what I was talking about. And because I have an ethnography background, I was able to, you know, write descriptions that made sense and and you could enjoy. But what I didn't understand was how much writing is really about touching the reader and trying to, to pull, pull in your emotions and make you want to turn the page. I mean, academics, we don't care at all whether you're interested in what we have to say, as long as we're really clear. But novelists, that's all we care about. You know, did I, did I get through? Did I touch you? Did I keep you up all night reading?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so that was well, the next know, thing suffered, that I really had to conquer.
1: Yes, and, and I, you know, I suffered from something very, very similar because I'm, you know, I'm used to writing. I'm used to writing legal documents. And so, again, I'm used to starting something, finishing it. I'm comfortable with language. I'm used to getting things done quickly. But I'm also used to writing like a lawyer. And so my first draft of my book, I tried to write from the third person, and it sounded about as exciting as, you know, a legal (laughs) brief. And so uh, how I was able to conquer it, and, again, it took me a while I was able to conquer it by writing from the first person and, and really digging into the character. And I, I will say my first book, Gold Coast Wives, which I was able to get published, went through so many iterations and so many rewrites. And it was really once I, I started my second book where I, I, I focused on more um, deeper themes and really learned to dig into the characters – I was able to then go back to my first book and see what I did wrong. Because, again, I think with every book you progress as a writer. And so, you know, I, and even still I read Gold Coast Wives and I feel like I'm so different. I'm such a different writer from, from the writer I was there. But I think, you, you know, you also change. I, I, wrote, I started that book five years ago. I'm a different person than I was five years ago. Um, so, you know, it, I think you're right. I think it is hard sometimes to break the habits that you learned in your day job. So so you, now, so you worked on that first book, um, that was women's fiction, and then what did you do?
0: Well, so the first book was actually you know, pure romance. I followed all the romance rules uh, and discovered that I don't like following rules, <laughs> which was something that I didn't really know about myself because all my life I followed rules. You know, I did the things I was supposed to do. I got my E's in school. I went all the way through and got my degree, and here I was up for tenure. And so I started out following the rules, and then I quickly started to rebel. And I think basically I've been in a five-year rebellion. Uh, and I finally broke out this year. But what happened with the romance part was I wasn't satisfied. I think, I think contemporary romance is a very, very difficult thing. When you're doing a historical, for example, there's rules about how people are supposed to engage in society. And you can create lots of really great conflict around people breaking the rules and what happens. But if you look at modern dating and modern love, there really aren't any rules to it anymore. And so, I found it very difficult to create enough drama on the page, you know, around these two characters not wanting, you know, being together or not wanting to be together in that whole push and pull. And slowly, I started moving not only toward a deepening in terms of what was going on and the family drama all around the characters that I was writing and issues in their jobs, which put me more into book club within fiction, but then I started sliding towards suspense because... I found that I wasn't really a women's fiction reader. I liked to read things that had a little more um, speed to them. And I really fell in love with writing these, these dramatic scenes where my heroine all of a sudden is alone in the hallway and someone's following her and she's really scared. And I realized that for me, this was really the key to my voice was the sort of, oh, I have a secret. Come, come learn my secret. And also that when, you know, there wasn't enough drama on the page to keep things going, all of a sudden if there was a gun or a dead body or something else, um, I, was, I was flying through the pages myself as a writer and, and my readers were responding to that as well. And so this year I finally made the full shift out of women's fiction and into um, thriller writing. And it's been just a really great fit.
1: You know, I think this is such a, a good example of what to do as a writer because you see, here's so many people who are fixated on their first book. You know, we've heard the, all heard the horror stories of people who spend like 10 years on this one book. And they never move on. You know, they're constantly rewriting the first paragraph. They're constantly sending out queries on the fir- first book. And sometimes your first book and maybe your second book and maybe your third book even is where you learn how to write and where you learn to explore different genres. And so you found that, you know, it sounds like your books, maybe they weren't published, but they were very important in your your writing journey. And, they so absolutely that's how were you're able the, the stepping out.
0: stones. Although I have to say I wrote the same book a number of different times. Or I wrote with the same characters and the same sorts of issues a number of different times, taking them through different genres in a way. So sadly, I don't have this repertoire of books behind me. I have the same characters going through whatever they're going through over and over again, starting with a sort of, you know, um, romance and then moving into this, like, very serious book club fiction and then finally moving much more towards suspense. But the problem when I tried to wed women's fiction and suspense was I wasn't really one of one, you know, one of one thing or one of another. I got to the point where agents and editors were writing me these very nice personalized letters. They loved my writing. They loved my characters. But this particular project just wasn't going to sell. And I kept thinking, you know, I finally realized it was because I couldn't figure out where it would go on the shelves. And being in a genre, I think, is very crucial if you're trying to sell commercially, especially as a debut author. And so... When I thought about, well, I really like to do suspense, I, need a, I started thinking, I need a dead body. I need to start the book with a dead body because that's how these thrillers start. And um, I realized that I had been writing about a widowed college professor and I had the dead body all along, her husband, right? He died. And, you know, I started thinking about, because I had already started writing a sequel about the sister and or she had a married to the mom story, I started to link these in my mind. And when I took my college professor heroine out of the story and let all of the mob stuff take over, all of a sudden I was sitting on this monster plot for the Kings of Brighton Beach.
1: And so now this is going to be the first in a series?
0: Right. I'm writing a series. It's got four parts to it, uh, but there's probably going to be somewhere between 12 and 20 episodes that will make up those four parts altogether. So I have it plotted out. Um, I keep getting surprised by different things that happen in it because I think part of me is a panther. I like to walk into the midst not knowing completely what's going to happen. And yet at the same time, because I'm writing thriller and I need to lay down clues and sort of you know, hint at what's really going on and these deeper intrigues, I love the whole intricacy of it, the plots within plots and the family secrets. And I have this kind of family saga thing going on. Um, so I needed to have that part really planned out. But, you know, I find that I'm in the middle of writing and all of a sudden I say, oh, the person walked in with a Molotov cocktail. And all of a sudden things take a little bit different direction and what I thought was going to take me two pages to get through takes me ten. So I can't quite see how long it's going to be yet, but I can definitely tell you where it's going.
1: And so the focus of this, the the theme between these different series is is this one family, is that right? Or is it the Russian mob? Like, what's the what's the link between the books and the series?
0: So, they're, it, they actually build one from the next. What I'm building is a very complex world about, and it's centered around a family, the Koslowski family. Arthur Koslowski is the patriarch of the family. He also is a former KGB agent. He came to America in the 1980s with his family. Um, and... In in, in in his ability to do that was predicated on his making a deal with the then KGB that he would actually money launder for them. So he's actually running all of these scams for the Russian government. And his daughter doesn't know this. His wife's father is somewhat involved in all of this, so she has some inkling. And there's, you know, a number of different things going on. And his son has been shut out of the quote-unquote family business and has started his own business where he's also sort of mobbed up. And things are about to break. He's about to get caught. And it could bring the whole family down. And his wife also has no idea that she's married to a monster. So when she finds out what's really happening, and when the daughter finds out what's really happening, there's going to be a move to bring things to light and bring them to justice, which, of course, will be very, very dangerous.
1: Now, did you have to do any kind of research for this book?
0: I've been doing a lot of research. I mean, part of it was already home-brewed because my husband's family did immigrate from the Soviet, emigrate from the Soviet Union in the 1990s, um, and I had studied Russian in college. So I had a little bit of background... I know the culture, I know the food. Um, You know, it was easy to do things in New York because I know the areas. Um, But then, you know, to really understand the Russian mob and how it's different from the Italian mob, I found that I've been reading very widely on all of that and trying to get into the mindset of gangsters and mobsters, which is very different than what I deal with on a day-to-day basis, um, has been quite a challenge. I've been reading a lot of newspaper articles and uh, sociological research on on how the mob is constructed and what they do.
1: And do you feel that your background in sociology then helps in in terms of this research?
0: Well, yes. I mean, you know, part of what I'm writing about is the immigrant experience and you know how that really defines people and the sorts of traumas that are involved. And of course, there's a lot of historical aspect to this. You know, the Jewish refugees in the Soviet Union who were persecuted and needed to get out. They came to this country as refugees. But historically, what also happened was the Soviet government, in a sort of "screw you to us" uh, sent a lot of uh, convicted felons and um, actually, you know, members of their own mafia to this country at the same time under those visas. And so, you know, that's part of the sort of thing that I'm picking up. And then the change in the mob itself, which has been very interesting. In sociology, I tend to study organizations. And so here's this very interesting organization. The Italian mob is really built in a sort of hierarchy with, you know, this sort of stability of, of roles. But the Russian mob isn't nearly as organized. It's a bunch of crews that are sort of lawless. They might come together for different things. They fight with each other. Sometimes they partner with each other. Um, And the way that it operates is just very, very different. And so it's been very exciting to try and bring that sort of network and and how it operates into the story to make it really rich.
1: So it sounds like you were able to blend both your personal background, your, your professional background, and just your inclination of, of, of having intricate plots into this new series. So it sounds very, very exciting. Now, were you able at all to blend in the romance?
0: Yes. Um, the first episode doesn't have as much of it. There's some hints of what's going to happen, but um, there's some very big, uh, romantic relationships that are planned that will span throughout the series. Some of them will end happily, which will make the romance fans happy, uh, and some of them won't end so happily. Uh, and regardless of which ones are going on at which time, there will be quite a bit of heat.
1: Oh, okay. All right. So there is going to be a heat level there. That's interesting. Well, so, you know, even though she just kind of an author of interesting but... thing, right?
0: Because, um, you know, like Nora Roberts always amazes me with how she can take just a sentence. Nothing, no clothes even have to come off. And you're sitting there crossing your legs, right? She can just make it so hot. Um, mm-hmm. And other times know, you read something where it's 50 shades of gray and you go, meh, nah, nah. meh. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of looking for that line where it's not pages and pages of things happening. But even in the first episode, uh, Arthur Kozlowski's wife is having an affair with a young man and they're together and you can kind of feel the chemistry between them.
1: hmm so then, your time in, in Romance Land was not a waste. You, you were able to incorporate it in your writing, even though, like you said, I th- like it, you as you you had to pick a genre. So it sounds like you picked, definitely picked genre, uh, thriller as your genre, but you were able to weave in in other things. So that sounds really interesting. You know, one of the things I'd like to talk about is your um, publication journey. I know that when you first started, as you said, you were very focused on getting an agent, getting a traditional publishing deal, but you wound up not going in that direction. Maybe you can explain, you know, what led you to the decision to self-publish.
0: Well, so as I said, this has been sort of a series of steps toward my big rebellion. Um, And so, yes, I was very, very focused on traditional success. And, um, you know, as part of all of this, Things were happening in my own research life that led me to switch gears. And so I started actually studying what it's like to be a writer in the digital age because I was here on the front lines. You know, having started in 2008, uh, things really started moving in 2009. We saw more publishers coming out that were, instead of paying advances, giving authors greater royalties. And then in 2010, that was the big year for uh, Nook. I mean, for Kindle in 2011 was the big year for Nook. And all of a sudden, there was this huge explosion of e-books, and you know, even last year if you had asked me, I would have told you that self-publishing was just the absolute road to nowhere. I had students working with me on a project and we were looking at the movement from self-publishing into traditional publishing. They called it the Pac-Man of Doom. It was like this big yellow pie chart with a very tiny sliver of people who were making any kind of movement. Um, You know, now we see that hybrid authors and people blending the, the different kinds of publishing are becoming more and more uh, prominent and more and more successful. And I went off to the Romance Writers of America National Conference last year, thinking that, you know, self-publishing wasn't all it was cracked up to be, uh, but also, you know, and that there was still this stigma. And at the same time, thinking about my new project, which was this thriller series, and, you know, whether I wanted to pitch it and who I might want to pitch it to, and, you know, feeling confident on the one hand that this was a project that really had some, commercial teeth. I mean, you know, people love the Sopranos, they love the Godfather, and here's the Russian version of it. Um, and, and, you know, the Russians are becoming more and more um, part of our imagination, too. We have a TV show, The Americans, about it, and the Olympics are in Russia this year. So I thought, this is really the time. And as I imagined what this was going to be like, I knew that it was going to be rejection after rejection. And I knew this not only because I'd been through it before on the, very, on the many other um, incarnations of my book from earlier, but I also knew from the research that I was doing that it's incredibly hard to break into this market. And if you look on Twitter with these agents who are writing about how many people are applying to them, with query, they could have 40,000 in a year. And maybe, maybe if you're lucky, they'll take four people. So every time you send something out, no matter how good it is, the pushing in me is saying, wow, you have more than a 99% chance of rejection even if your stuff's amazing. And right. thinking about going through that was so disheartening. And in my work life, I was going through a place also where what I was starting to see was that you know women of our generation were told that if we were good girls, if we followed the rules and we did what we were supposed to and we worked really hard, our good work would speak for itself and we would be successful. We would move forward, we would be recognized, whatever it was. And that wasn't happening. hmm it wasn't happening at all. And yeah. I finally sat there. For so many people. Because RWA meetings, wait For so many people, for so many reasons. And I was seeing it with my students. I was seeing it with my female colleagues. I was watching it happen to myself. i feeling just so angry and torn up about it. And looking at it now, going, okay, and now here's my writing, which is my escape and my catharsis, and I'm going to have to put it out on the chopping block and go through it again. It doesn't matter how hard I've worked. It doesn't matter how good this is. It's going to be this painful, awful process where there's not a relationship that's direct between how hard I work or how good my stuff is and what happens with it. And at the time, I was very fortunate to meet people at the conference Who were being very successful with their self-publishing? They were actually making very decent money at it. And I knew a number of women from my Long Island chapter who had made it through the traditional route and weren't so happy with it. They had very small advances. One of our friends who, um, you know, finally got to realize her dream of publishing with one of the big five publishers had a five thousand dollar advance. That actually, it turns out, from my research, is quite a good advance. It's higher than the median. Um, and yet, you know, you think about all of the time that you spend writing, and you know, if you were to add it up, if it were really just about the money, you'd be better off working at Starbucks, where at least they'd like feed your coffee addiction too. Right,
1: right. And you
0: might get health insurance. Well, I mean, that's, you know? and that's the,
1: no, no. I mean, it's it's it is crazy. It is crazy. And you know, that five thousand dollars after taxes, after you pay your agent, I mean, what is that? It's nothing. It's nothing. And so then I
0: mean, on top of it, to not be happy with how you were being treated or how your book was being promoted. And I'm not saying that this was the case with her, but, you know, I was interviewing writers. I was talking to people at the conferences. And here I was crunching numbers. And, you know, traditional publishing just didn't look as attractive as it had before. And I thought, you know, in my academic life, I have the prestige that I need. You know, I've, I've, I've got the degrees. I've got the publications. For this, I really don't need it and I'd really like to be able to make a little bit of money to at least validate the time that I'm spending. And so I decided that I was going to try um, self-publishing. But the truth of it really is that while I'm um, approaching this as a very professional endeavor, and I have opened my own LLC, I'm now the CEO of Crime Vice Media, and I've hired cover artists and editors and and all of that, Um, at the same time, I would be writing whether or not this succeeded because I'm just addicted. I can't stop.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you
0: probably talk uh, yeah, this too. There's times where i said, if I could give this up, I'd have an extra you know, couple of hours every day to do other things.
1: No, it's. I mean, so I, that's what I was going to say. I mean, it, it's hard when you're a type A type person. And I think we've talked about this. We we're, we're both tend to be type A in our normal lives. I've really tried very hard not to be quite so type A in my writing life. But yet, if you want people, even if you're not interested in the money aspect, if you want people to... Sh- to read your books, you know, you have to do a certain amount of promotion. You have to do a certain amount of work. And you have to at some point let your type A, you know, that even if you're keeping her locked in a closet, every now and then you have to let her out. Because otherwise your writing will go nowhere. So you have to, you know, so that's, that's the balance that I've kind of struggled with. Because writing for me is an escape from my regular life, from my day-to-day grind. So it's hard. You know, I've really tried to resist turning it into yet another grind. But if you want to get somewhere, you have to put the work in. So, you know, what I've been doing is focusing on promotion, doing this radio show. But it's, you know, it's hard. It's hard to get to break into, even, you know, even when you have the backing of a publisher. And I think the reality is um, a lot of the publishers now, digital is great. They can maybe take a chance on somebody that they wouldn't have, If they had, you know, ten years ago, if they had to offer them a traditional route, but, you know, it's it's like you said, there are small advances. Maybe not as much work is put into promoting newer writers, and so, how much are you getting? Other than the prestige of saying my book has been published by X Y Z publisher, you know, are you getting that much more? So I, you know, it's a struggle. I think that most writers have today. I mean, it's great to have so many choices. And then on the other hand, it's it's kind of stressful to have so many choices. Well,
0: and then I find, though, because I am this sort of type A control freak, that self-publishing really puts me in the driver's seat And so I'm really enjoying deciding when the different books are going to come out and how they're going to be packaged and what they're going to look like. And for me also, I've been able to do this experiment that I probably wouldn't have been able to do otherwise. You know, as I said, the series is broken into four parts. And I had the choice on the one hand to write four really juicy long novels or to break it into pieces. And rather than go the novella route, what I'm doing is writing episodes. They're about 100 pages apiece. And the idea is sort of like, you know, when we sit down and watch TV. So the, the whole structure of it is like, you know, a two-hour long um, TV show with your favorite characters. I have this very intricate, you know, interesting ensemble cast of people who are flawed and interesting, and some of them are evil, and some of them don't know that they're evil. And, um, you know, they all have good reasons for the different things that they're doing. And so I've been able to put this sort of drama... In a, in a format that's very different than what I might have been allowed to do otherwise. And so, you know, it's this whole kind of serial idea where, you know, each week you're watching something. And I was thinking as I was doing it about the TV shows that I had loved when I was younger that sort of had that soap, soap opera, you know, um, quality to them where they built up and up and up. It might even have been a five-year story arc before it all came together. Um, but every week there was some advance and there was some new thing happening. And so it's been really fun for me to be able to experiment that way um, and at the same time you know, to be very type A about the production quality and about what's happening with it and, and you know, learning the ropes of promotion and everything else. My issue is that there's not enough hours in the day between the day job and all of the things I want to do with my writing.
1: Right. Right. Well, I have to say, I love your cover. It's a very cool cover. And I, I love your website, too. I, I, um, whoever did your, your author photos, is really great. It's, it's very cool, and you look very kick-ass. I think you're wearing a leather coat. <laughs> it's really very cool. It's very cool. People should check Thank that you. out. The, um,
0: the cover photos are by Terry Diamond, who's in Brooklyn. And the, uh, the cover design for The Kings of Brighton Beach is by Asha Hussain, who's out in Seattle. And Author Bytes did my uh, website. So I've been very fortunate to have found really, really good people to work with. And I highly recommend them in case anyone listening is looking.
1: Well, maybe you could tell everyone where they can find you online.
0: Sure. My website is dbshuster.com. That's D-B-S-H-U-S-T-E-R dot com. Um, I'm also on Facebook. And you can find me on Twitter at DBShuster. I've also just posted to Wattpad for the first time. So my first two chapters are up there if you want to check them out. Um, just type in D.B. Schuster and you'll find it and uh, I also I also have a Pinterest page where I'm starting to put in pictures of Brighton Beach and Brooklyn and mobsters and stuff like that so uh, feel free to check that out as well.
1: Yeah, Pinterest is fun, isn't it? I kind of lost a few hours I was doing the same thing like picking up pictures from my books, my Devil Legacy books I, I was able to have a lot of fun with because they're set in Ireland so that was very fun. It's a real time suck. I mean I hope that people uh, enjoy it but it's It's one of the things that was fun to do as well. Now, maybe you could talk a little, is there anything in particular now you're focusing in terms of promotion? Do you have any events coming up or interviews other than this one?
0: You know, I've taken sort of a soft launch approach to the promotion for right now. Um, As I said, you know, there's the need to choose. And as as you know, it's a balance between having the time to write and doing all of the professional things around writing that, that keep the engine going. Um, and so for me, what I decided was that I was really going to push the promotion hard when the third or fourth novella is out, when the third or fourth episode is out, um, mm-hmm. which I expect will be probably around May. In the meantime, you know, I'm building up my social, social media presence and anytime I get an opportunity to do a blog, blog talk or something else, I do that. Um, at the same time, my alter ego professor, Dana Weinberg, is out blogging as an industry expert for Digital Book World. I've been their survey guru this year. Um, and so for them, I'm writing a lot of things about um, what it's like to be a writer and using their, author, their 2014 Digital Book World and Writers' Digest author survey to talk about the experiences of writers and how much money we're making. Um, I'm working on a um, book for Writers' Digest right now on what, what the most successful authors are doing. And you know whether there's any lessons that the rest of us can learn from that. Um, so that's been keeping me very busy. And sometimes I get a chance to talk about D V Schuster on those in those venues. Um, if you're interested in learning more about that work, you can find it at digitalbookworld.com and also on my own nonfiction blog post, which is danabethweinberg.com.
1: Wow. So it sounds like you are very very busy. I guess, is, is your husband sorry that he sent you away on that vacation? Is he sorry he opened this Pandora's box? Um,
0: You know, I think that he, because I get such an outlet out of the writing, I'm -hmm. so much of a happier person since I've started doing it. Um, And so, you know, it's that happy wife, happy life kind of thing. (laughs) I think that's where he comes in on it. Um, And, you know, for my children also, you know, again, the time is really at a premium for me. But they're so excited about what I'm doing and seeing me realize these projects and bring them you know, into, into creation and being able to see them and you know, find them online. My son is convinced I'm about to become famous. He wants to make the video game version of my series when he's ready. and uh, <laughs> So everybody has a little bit of a hand in it and is really you know, enjoying the, the process and the success, which has been really great.
1: Oh wow, it does sound great. See, so there are there are frustrations in the writing life, but if if there wasn't some benefits if if we didn't really love it, we wouldn't do it. So, I think um it's I think that's something you're finding out as well. And and like I said, I'm it's it sounds like you persevered through um, you know, shot hopping genres, you know, and finding pu- finding your road to publication and it sounds like you're definitely on, on the right road and I'm very excited to see the, the next covers of your books. And so you have one episode out and you're expecting to have two more out in May, is that right?
0: Um, I'm expecting the next one to be out probably within the next six weeks. Okay,
1: um, I'm just
0: putting the final touches on it and then sending it to my editors and my beta readers and everything. And oh, I got so fortunate. There's... Um, a man who works me, with me at Queen's, who's a retired police captain. And his beat was Brighton Beach and Coney Island. And so oh, he's wow. agreed to be my expert on all of these things and make sure I don't mess up my crime scenes. Um, so that's been really, truly fabulous. Wow. Um, and in terms, of the, in terms of the writing path, I have to say, you know, for me this has been a really wonderful journey and, and feels like the right path for now. Um, And what I encourage other authors to think about is really what they need, you know, to kind of tune out all of the noise around this is better or that's better and think about why you're writing and what it is that you want because Mm -hmm. one path that's good for someone else might not be the right one for you.
1: Right. And I think what's important too, which, which you demonstrated, is learning to find your own voice and focus on that Learn to be a better writer. Focus on becoming a better writer, and the publication will come.
0: You you know what I mean?
1: As opposed to writing your first book and running out and trying to find an agent right away. Like, give it time. That's what I've definitely experienced. Um, Give it time, because you don't know what you don't know. And, you know, one year, two years, three years, you'll be such a better writer. And like you said, when you find your niche, when you find your genre, you'll know it, and your writing will sing, and it will flow. So... I think this has been a really inspiring story, and and I thank you for coming on and sharing it with us. So again, thank
0: you for having me.
1: Yeah, this has been great. So thank you so much. Um, Just wanted to talk about some of my upcoming interviews. On February 26th, where I'm going to have Boone Brooks. On March 5th, Marina Miles, and on March 12th, Bernadette Marie. So I'm very excited about some of these upcoming interviews. Also wanted to um, tell everyone about my recent interview with Sasha and Sarah of Romance Book Lime. It was a really fun interview. Unfortunately, I had a bit of a cold, so I had a bit of a husky voice. But And I was a little loopy on, on cold medication, but I think I made sense. So uh, please check out that book. I talked about my publication journey and some of my recent books. Um, you can find the link for that interview on my website, and it's also on Blog Talk Radio under Romance Book Line. So I um, also wanted to tell everyone about my books. Still, my books with Kensington are not available yet, but they should be available soon. That's Gold Coast Wives and my four-book paranormal romance um, series, The Devil and Witch, The Devil's Daughter, Devil's Mountain, and um, Devil's no, what? Oh. The Devlin's Legacy, I'm I'm spacing out. But anyway, my four books and all my covers and excerpts from my um, books are on my website, BernadetteWalsh.com, but um, one of my titles, The House on Prospect, is still available, so um, check that out as well. Anyway, thanks so much for joining me. This is Nice Girls Reading Naughty Books, Bernadette Walsh, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.